Hello again this week in Marvel, it's Mark and Patrick back with more from the set of Guardians of the Galaxy. Literally on the set, they are filming a sequence. Which is why we have to be very, very quiet. <laughs> Which is why we can't shout and I can't laugh. Um, <laughs> but we're here with uh, Zoe Zaldana, if I did not say that. Gamora, who is, uh, this is actually your last day, I believe, shooting here. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> we caught you just in time. How's it, how's it been, like, returning to this set and uh, doing another one of these, particularly after the first one sort of took off the way it did? It's been great. Um, you know, when, when, when I caught wind of how special this movie really was because of all the topics it was dealing with, um, I felt already, like, lucky enough to be a part of it. So the fact that it over-exceeded all of our expectations in the box office and it was so successful uh, and we, that we get to come back again for a second round, I was much more relaxed, super happy, um, and excited when I read the script. And, you know, one thing that we've been sort of talking about with everybody is, is how this one focuses so much more on family and, and sort of getting to know the characters much more intimately and much more personally. And for Gamora, in the first one, she's sort of this brash assassin trying to break away from Thanos, all of that. But uh, now that she's found uh, a pseudo-family in this, how do you think that's changed her? I just, it's made, it's made her... Um, it's made her better, you know. There's, there's. She, she found a place that she belongs, you know. Thanos um, killed off her whole planet and took her and subjected her to a life of violence and crime. So, father of the year. Right father <laughs> of the year, absolutely. Um, so, to to finally get an opportunity to start over again. And to be the kind of person, to, to be the kind of, you know, yeah, person that I would have liked to be, uh, I'm doing it. So I belong to a family. They may not be the best. They may not be the most intelligent, because they're certainly not. Um, but they they have good hearts. In this family, oh, who would you uh, who would you rank as sort of the mom, the dad, the kids, and the pet? <laughs> Um, I think Rocket is definitely the father. <laughs> um, but he's like that grumpy all in the family, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Those were the days. He's just grumpy and miserable. And um oh, I I'm the mommy. Um I think Quill is like either the goofy uncle or or just that son that just screws everything up. <laughs> Um, Drax is that other son that is too big for his own good and and doesn't really <laughs> doesn't have the kind of logic that other people have. Is it is it really loud? <laughs> oh no! This is good. Sorry, I'm like giggling like uh, uncontrollably. Um, uh, Groot is like everybody's favorite. So Groot is a prodigal child, and um, Nebula. And other people will just be, you know, the the rebel kids that come in and go whenever they please. <laughs> so yes, I am the mommy. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs>
No, go ahead. Oh, uh, so you have this rivalry with Nebula. Uh, who had a worse makeup process to go through for, for this for this Ooh, movie? Good question. Well, hers was hers was longer. Karen's was longer when we were in London. How long was yours? Yours was longer when we were in London. All right. Yeah. Mine was five hours in London. And now? And now it's two and a half hours. God bless America. (laughs) (laughs) So mine was two and a half to three um, in London. And now it's three to four. (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. How how did your... I feel like everyone else's got shorter. How did yours get longer? I'm older. I guess there's a lot more covering up when you're green. (laughs) Uh, Blue people have it better. (laughs) Um, oh, no, I was uh, also going to say, you know, with this, in the first one, you always talked a lot about how, uh, I believe you, you sort of studied some forms of, like, dance and ballet and everything for the fighting style. Um, it, has that evolved at all in this one? Or It just always helps. It always helps that I had an athletic background uh, when I'm approaching uh, a character that, that is very physical. Uh, it's always a plus. Stunt teams have a blast with me. I like feeling like I can do this, but I I'm also like I'm very helpful. So like if Karen and I have a lot of our fighting scenes together, and so I'm I'm kind of you know guiding her because Karen has like two left feet. This is she's self-professed. <laughs> she's not even here. She has two left feet. Adorable feet. <laughs> Um, so sometimes it's like, oh, Karen, out, that hurt. Uh, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> so I'm like, if you do this and you bend your knee there and you shift your weight onto this leg, maybe when you punch it won't seem that, but you'll get that conviction. So I'm, I'm very much like a teacher in that way. Um, but I, I enjoy, I enjoy doing my stunts. And I like the fact that I have, I have the background to sustain that. So you guys didn't accidentally like elbow each other too much right oh my god yes face. yes yes or like you're choking me or come on choke me harder <laughs> those are the conversations you have when you're doing stunts just like any happy family completely <laughs> sisters <laughs> um and that's also something that actually is fleshed out a lot more in this is the story between you and nebula yeah. um which, you know, I saw something with James talking about how sort of the story was one-sided in the first movie where you really only saw um, Gamora's perspective of, like, how they were raised and Nebula was just sort of, you know, the evil assassin lady trying to kill everyone and destroy the world. Um, how has it been sort of working with her to sort of develop that and strengthen that bond and sort of see where it goes? It's been great. I just love the fact that um, we're going to have, in a Marvel comic, we're going to have um, two women sharing screen time, you know? Uh, three women at times. Three women at times. We've got mantis and, now. And everybody has their own priorities, you know, their, their own modus operandi. So it feels great. It feels that James Gunn is a really good writer in that sense, and he's he's... He doesn't have any preference with characters. He likes all of his characters, and he wants them to have the arc that they deserve. Um, 
the relationship between Nabila and Gamora is very intense. They they went through a hard time. I don't think we were able to to go and in great depths, you know, in terms of like what what really went on in the first movie through Gamora's eyes, but we definitely will be doing that through Nebula's eyes. So through Nebula, we'll be able to understand how it was really like uh, for her. Well, and, and that's one thing too is that you know you were able to sort of break away from that in a way that Nebula wasn't in the first yeah. film. I don't know. Why, why do you think that is? What do you think it is about Gamora's character that sort of gives her the strength to sort of break out of this mold that she's... Because I imagine she was exposed to a very cruel, almost like brainwashing, sadistic childhood through Thanos raising her. Like, um, I just think she has a big heart. Her heart is way too big and she just... She's had enough. It wasn't who she was, and I, you know, when she goes off to do that that um, that mission in Guardians Volume One, I think that she was fully aware that if she failed, they were going to come after her. Ronan was going to come after her, and and they're they're going to kill her. But I I think that she she was resolved already. She chose death instead of like living a life of misery and 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 violence. And. So now that the this second movie is taking place, you know, maybe a few months after the first and the Guardians, the legend of the Guard, like, people know who these characters are, uh, is Gamora still focused on going after Thanos, or is she happy just exploring the universe with the rest of the Guardians? Like, is she still focused on her original I motivations? Think, I think Gamora's going to be more and more into into sort of like assuming that position of being a peacemaker. I think that her mission, the you know, um, is is to redeem herself from all the guilt that she has of all the lives that she's probably damaged. So she's in this like pilgrimage, you know, she's a in the, through she's in this pilgrimage of her own and she just wants to by doing good, I feel like she'll be able to wash away whatever bad uh, she's done. I don't think necessarily Thanos is somebody that is in her, is in her, you know, to-do list to like, I gotta kill my dad. Like, I think she just wants to let it go. <laughs> Make sure he doesn't kill anybody else, for sure. <laughs> uh, last question before we let you go. You know, yeah. Patrick just touched on sort of this idea of the legends of the Guardians growing. If uh, Gamora could write her own legend, how do you think she would want to be sort of known or remembered throughout the universe? I don't know. <laughs> I well because because I'm you know here in volume two, she's not really achieving. She's still on her way. She's yeah. still in this in this on this road to recovery. So it's only been a couple of months since we last saw them, um, and I think that she just wants to. I think she'll be fine. Just. You know, buying a farm somewhere and like growing some crops. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. the same way she would be fine, like running a running a nation and being a leader of that that evokes peace. All right. Well, thank you. Guys, thank you. Thank you. All right. <laughs>
Welcome back to This Week in Marvelites. Mark and Patrick still here on the set of Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Still chatting with folks. We are now sitting here with the film's costume designer, Judiana Makovsky. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. Yeah? Yeah. Costume designer. That is the correct that title, is the correct? correct title. All right. Off yes. to a good start. Yes. Off to a great yes. start. Well, a lot of people say We're costumer, which is not the correct. That's actually someone on wardrobe, on, who does wardrobe and stays on the set. The designer is a designer. But there is a big difference between a costumer and yes. a costume designer. And you were saying, we were talking mm-hmm. earlier about mm-hmm. how you are on quite a few Marvel films and have worked on quite a few Marvel films. I have. I've been very lucky. What, what, mm-hmm. You were saying you worked on Captain America, I, now Guardians. What yes. other ones have you... Well, I did Captain America Winter Soldier mm-hmm. and Captain America Civil War and just finished Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and starting the next two Avengers. I f- and I did an X-Men Many years ago, huh. the one never, that Brett Ratner directed. Never heard of it. Oh, no. <laughs> that, that's, that's many years many ago. Years ago. <laughs> many years ago. Uh, I feel like mm-hmm. with the Captain America movies, mm-hmm. you're basically going from like one sort of similar film to mm-hmm. another. But it feels like a bit of a jump going from Civil War to Guardians of the Galaxy. It is. It's a, uh, the sensibility is completely different. The Just the palette alone... You have to change your entire way of thinking. The Captain America movies are very sort of documentary style, not a lot of color, a lot of texture in a different way. But when you get to Guardians, it's I love it. The palette is really colorful, and it's it's actually a little less colorful than the first Guardians. Oh, it's, it's well, it's not that it's less colorful. It's very colorful. It's just a little more layered, a little more toned down. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to explain. You'll see it when the movie comes out. But, I mean, it is exceptionally colorful. There are certain scenes. are, But we've made it just a little, um, as I say, layered. Interesting. What, what do you mean by, by layered, I guess? Like, just in terms like of... Like, if the reds were super bright before, they're just a little less bright. Okay. This time, with lots of colors in the reds. Interesting. So and the Ravagers are very kind of more darker red. Does that... Does that thematically tie in to like how the story is represented or like based on practical reasons well no i think it was um when i first talked to james in the beginning he wanted them to look a little more well particularly our heroes more rock star Mm. not quite so comic book Costume, mm-hmm. but more like really, they're rock stars of the universe now. They they've they're saved. Com- the, they have a yeah, they have a, to Yes, them. they do. So, in that case, it gets a little bit more real. I wouldn't say they're real, but the the way they're manufactured a little more reality based, and the colors just came down just a little bit. It's interesting, and. Uh, of course, I mean, we're looking around in the middle of this uh, room right now with all yes. this concept art, and there are some pretty extravagant costumes, yes. particularly uh, with uh, uh, Aisha. Yes. Yes. Um, with, like, mm-hmm. something like that, when you're working on such, like, a wide variety of, like, something like her, which is very mm-hmm. regal, very mm-hmm. elegant, very... Mm-hmm really all kind of not over the top but just so it's extravagant glamorous. And it's glamorous. pretty glamorous <laughs> and then you've got like you know mm-hmm. 
Pierre Quill mm-hmm. walking around in like a uh, what are essentially like mm-hmm. the space equivalent of jeans and exactly. a t-shirt. That's exactly right. Um, well, that's the fun part of these movies. You get to do so many different things. You, I mean, it's you create different worlds on different planets, and you know the the Aisha world was particularly fun because it is gold. But how to make that gold not look like Las Vegas? That's that's the hard part. You want it to be a believable and elegant gold, not a trashy, are, are, you know, sequiny gold. Are you, are you saying Las Vegas is not believable or classy? Well, like it is <laughs> for a Las Vegas show. It's great, but I think the universe that we wanted to create wasn't, you know, a big gold lame sequined world. It right. was much more. It's an old, um, an older. What's the word I'm looking for? Civilization. Mm-hmm. That's a, a more mature a, civilization. Yes, but it's an old. It's been around. It's an ancient civilization. So there has to be something about it that's like a darker, grittier gold. Mm-hmm. And the fabrics need to be not like particularly necessarily shiny. Were there any? Were there any characters mm-hmm. uh, that James was telling you about where he was possibly describing them? And in your head, you're like. Okay, it's one thing to say that, mm-hmm. but how am I actually going to do that? I think almost all of them. <laughs> Fair really and truly. Um, you know, even just um, Nebula getting her Ravager costume that she gets quickly. Um, it still has to look good on her and function, but still look like Ravagers. And, you know, it's like, oh, how do we get something? Because she's the first one we've kind of done as a Ravager. Oh, female. We've only there's only been male Ravagers mm-hmm. so far in the movie in the first movie. So how do we adapt that and still have her look great? So that you know, I would say almost every character has <laughs> a little bit of that problem solving <laughs> attached to it. Yeah, yeah. And I know that mm-hmm. like you know other departments like props or whatever they have to create sort of different um, you know. Uh, different versions mm-hmm. of the same prop to be used in different shots mm-hmm. or different action sequences, etc. Do you sort of have to do the same thing, when, particularly in crafting some of the more intricate costumes like Nebula's, where, you know, this is her stunt fighting mm-hmm. costume, this is her glamour shot costume, yeah. that type of thing? I mean, we have a little of that, but because these films are so action-oriented, when we design them, we just take that in consideration. There's always a mobility question, so... Any garment we know that's going to be on wires or in a fight scene, particularly on wires, it, it's sort of taken, it's built into the design mm-hmm. that we can do that without having too many different versions. I mean, we do do a larger version so we can fit harnesses, and we have a stunt version to fit someone else so you get the right proportion. But pretty much, that's one of the things I do, is take all that into consideration when we start where does stretch need to be. So sometimes you'll think of costume is all one fabric and it's actually a combination of different fabrics that do different things for movement which which of the costumes in this film would you say is the most intricate or the one that took the most time to sort of figure out and perfect Aisha I think Aisha's court costume her throne room costume was definite her lair was definitely why, the why, most difficult. Why was that? Um, she's very tall, and we wanted her to be even taller. <laughs> and getting that proportion, um, getting it to look 
like she is actually part of her throne. Built into the throne, her headdress. You'll see in the movie, but you think it's actually her headdress and it's actually the throne. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) So um, I think that was probably one of the more difficult ones. On on the flip side of that, was there any one costume that was just like a complete breeze? Like you did it once and not There's never anything. When you say something's easy, you find out there's nothing easy in a movie ever. (laughs) (laughs) Ever. So with the Guardians, obviously you want to create some sort of uh, unifying theme to have them all fit in together. However, this team goes to countless different worlds with countless mm-hmm. different uh, characters uh, is, is it a, a fun challenge like trying mm-hmm. to figure out ways to be unique for each planet and not have them look too similar to what well uh, we've I think seen? we we actually don't change their clothes a lot I, I, I find it very distracting in a movie when people change clothes for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> you know, and there's not a... the Story-wise, you have to really go with the story. And there's not a lot of places for them to change clothes. So they really don't. So whatever you design just has to really work for the whole movie or at least mm-hmm. half the film. And, and that that's part of the challenge. It's easy to keep changing people's clothes. Um, but it just doesn't... I don't know. I find it when you have a character that's a real character. It's like... You know, in any film, some iconic character, if you keep changing their clothes, you don't remember who they are. Or if you have a character that's only in it for a minute or two, if he comes back and he's got a whole different outfit on, you're like, now who is he again? So you have to be really careful with um, costume changes, I think. You know, we all, as designers, want to keep going, keep doing more and more and more, but pulling back is always, a, you know, a good thing to do. Well, and particularly in this sense, I mean, this isn't really technically a a superhero movie, but exists sort of in that world. And typically you have Mm -hmm. someone like Iron Man or Captain America. They have a very iconic suit, a very iconic look. Exactly. So I feel like part of that vocabulary Mm -hmm. is Star-Lord. Yes. More or less wearing the same outfit throughout. Yes. It's his Exactly. It's you know, his suit. he has he has a, a short jacket, he has a long coat, he has pieces that come on off, he has different T shirts, he has two pairs of pants, you know, he always wears the same boots, never changes boots. It's the same Drax never changes. Drax is just <laughs> Drax. Um, you know, luckily for us there there was a language set in the first film. And it was a beautiful language. So we just went from there. Luckily in in a way we didn't have to start inventing the wheel on this one mm-hmm. even though we took it other places and in the first film you know there were only like 15 or 18 ravagers this one has like 200 and something ravagers <laughs> and trying to be clever with 200 different costumes <laughs> and make them all kind of fit together that was a real challenge because we we made i think maybe 400 something costumes to for stunts and whatever of all these ravagers and then you have ravagers in different colors it, different groups of ravagers is, is that sort of a blessing of a kind? I mean, do you prefer to sort of come into uh, a film where that language has already been sort of established in a previous film, or are there, does it present its own unique challenges it, it in presents, terms of... I, it does present its own challenges. When you have, like, a small amount, like in the first film, Alex, who who's the designer, did a terrific... I mean, those clothes are so beautiful, I thought they should have been nominated for an Oscar. Honestly, I was pushing for that. Mm-hmm. Um... But, you know, they only had small amounts, and then suddenly I have to do big amounts and sort of keep the same language. We couldn't afford that, so we had to figure out... That was a really big challenge. How do we do what they did 
to keep the language but do it our own way mm. that we cannot afford what they only have 20 and we have 400 <laughs> you know so you know those kind of challenges people don't realize when you make a movie you do have an actual budget <laughs> it's not like we can do anything we want even though it sometimes looks like we do um, so that's a big consideration I mean person personally you know I've been at the beginning of franchises. I've started franchises like Harry Potter. I prefer to be the one who starts it. But when you have a movie as good as Guardians, you want to continue on with that. I mean, why not? You yeah. know, and like I said, it was such a beautiful movie. It's kind of a challenge to see if you can keep going in that direction or go a little further. What can you do that's your own, but still keep, you know, it really is James's vision. Mm -hmm. And we're there for James. As James said to me once, the only person you have to really make happy is me. <laughs> and, you know, it's true. He is the director, and this is his vision. And he has an image in his head, and we are all there to sort of accomplish that. And um, I find he's very exciting to work with because he'll push you in directions you didn't necessarily want to go in. He'll just keep at it till you, oh, I get what you want, you know, because that may not be your sensibility. And that's, I like the challenge, you know. So, you know, there's good things about starting the franchise, and there's good things coming in the middle of the franchise. Yeah. Um, we were talking to the, mm -hmm. the property master about how he, you know, in the workshop designed these blasters and mm -hmm. everything was good to go, and then brought them to set and realized mm -hmm. that they were too bulky mm -hmm. and that they, you know, messed with the, the beautiful mm -hmm. lines of Star-Lord's coat. Right. And so then mm -hmm. they had to kind of reinvent. Yes. Do you have any anecdotes of how things in the workshop looked totally fine, then you brought them to set, and then there was one factor that didn't click that you then had to readjust? Uh, not really. We, we had limited um, access to the actors, <clears throat> particularly Chris because he was shooting another movie. So we didn't, we only had two fittings. So mm. our first wardrobe test, his coat was just too big and too bulky. So we just needed to remake it. But, you know, it, his second fitting, actually his wardrobe test was really just a second fitting. Right. Normally you get four or five fittings on these <laughs> things. You know, when I do a, a real superhero costume, we get four or five, you know, <laughs> to work out all the problems in the fitting so you're not doing a wardrobe test on film where it doesn't look good but that was pretty much a fitting but you know the coat ended up the same coat it's just we needed to scale the whole thing down the same with his jacket everything the first time around was a little big mm. um you know when it comes to something like this and working in marble mm -hmm. and jumping from you know captain america uh mm -hmm. winter soldier mm -hmm. to civil war to this like is it uh, does it require you to sort of like recalibrate your brain at all, like in between each one, or is it just sort of like a natural? Do you sort of see each one as just a fresh challenge, and you walk in sort of clean? I, I see each one as a fresh challenge. I mean, there. This was the first film I'd done with James, so that was definitely like wrap my head around a sensibility that I hadn't worked with before. Um, after doing two movies with the Russos, it became kind of a language on the last two. Mm -hmm. But going into the Avengers, because it's the Avengers, it is a different sensibility. Mm -hmm. It is not Captain America. So the palette's different. The, you know, I mean, they're sen I know what they like, you know, which is great because yeah. I've worked with them. But even they have to change it a little because we're, it's a different franchise. <laughs> yes. Even though it has some of the same characters, 
you know, it presents its own challenge. So pretty much, you know, you start every movie going, oh, my God, I know nothing. I've never learned anything, and I have to start from scratch. <laughs> you know, so I mean, no matter what. You know, because they all start the same way. They start with the script and a lot of research yeah. and the director. And uh, like I said, we're in this mm-hmm. room with all these beautiful mm-hmm. drawings mm-hmm. from the, uh, you know, Marvel visual development mm-hmm. team. Um, well, actually, a lot of these are, you know, we, it's a combination with Marvel Visual. We, I have my own sketch artist. Oh, okay. Um, they do some, I do some, we do some together. Interesting. Like, they'll do something and then I have to make it actually be a real costume. A lot of the sets, they're from the art department, from their yeah. concept artists. But it, it is a collaboration. These movies are a collaboration between so many people. Yeah. I mean, that's the exciting thing, I find. Well, that's actually what I was going to ask Mm -hmm. about was sort of the collaboration process Mm -hmm. with the Mm -hmm. visual development Mm -hmm. team and how you sort of work with them Mm -hmm. and spitball back and forth sketches. Well, they usually come on before I'm on and they do some sketches. They're not costume designers. Right. So a lot of times some of those ideas will stick and some of them won't. And I just take over and I have a team and we do our version of these and then we all have meetings and pick which one everybody likes or you know or I'll take something that they've done that I really like but then have to change it to actually have it look good on a person um, but you know I would say part of the sketches in here from FizzDev and a lot aren't <laughs> a lot are my, my team but like I said we all do it together we all sit in rooms with Kevin Feige and you know the directors and the production designer and visual effects and we all sit in there together every week and work through these and then again with a costume sketch you know sketches are sketches so <laughs> once you get in a fitting with a real person and a actor who has an opinion things change you know <laughs> that's that's the joy of <laughs> working with actors <laughs> and uh you know with the, the mm-hmm. vast amount of mm-hmm. films that you've worked on mm-hmm. and the variety mm-hmm. of films that you've worked on personally is there any uh, specific thing that like a director might say to you that just gets you more excited than anything else like is it saying there's going to be this type mm-hmm. of costume or this amount of costume or this genre of film that just personally you just can't contain your excitement you know I like doing them all it's funny I think I think people look at my resume and they go God, you do a lot of different things I, I guess I have a short attention span so I like to go from one thing and then the next thing I'd like it to be completely different even though I have been now with Marvel for three years um, but you know I like doing a contemporary piece if it has a really interesting story and the characters are interesting I don't like to do movies where I shop I, you know even on modern dress we make the clothes Mm -hmm. which people don't realize we make a lot of it because you never find what's really right or the color or for action or whatever I love doing period films I love doing fantasy films I like doing the comic book movies I will say I think the comic book films are the most challenging of all genres to make these characters believable is really a challenge you know it was a big challenge on Winter Soldier um, particularly to do Bucky as Winter Soldier, or to do uh, Chris Evans in his stealth suit to make a suit that was more reality-based and still be a comic superhero. I think I find them the most, these films are the most challenging. I mean, the Guardians is a little bit combination of comic book and super and, and um, fantasy film, so it's, I got a lot of stuff I like in it. Super mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. 
But there, each film, I find, you know, it's all based on story. That's everything I do has to make sense for that story. So if the story's good, I mean, I actually did last year a one million dollar film, a little Bible film, yeah. a Jesus film with you and McGregor. That is so beautiful. And that in itself was a challenge and, and so wonderful to do. Um, Chivo, who's one of the best DPs in the business, shot it himself. We were in the middle of the desert with nothing. <laughs> um, but, you know, like I said, I like to do lots of different things. As long as the story's good and the actors and the director are interesting and the people, you know, are fun. It is a collaborative process. So if you're having fun with the group of people you're working with, it's great. And with something like Guardians of the Galaxy, of course, you have... Uh, not only James's vision mm -hmm. and the original film mm -hmm. to work off of, but you also have the original comics to work right. off of. Like, how much, you know, do you really just use those sort of as a starting point or as sort of an idea starter? Like, how often do you it, go back to reference well, those? It, it, we do reference them, but it really depends on the vision of the director, mm -hmm. you know? The Ravagers in this film are more like a you know, space motorcycle gang. They're not yeah. really comic heroes. So when you get new characters introduced, they have to fit in the world you've already created. You, so you, you will take elements from the comic, and that's where the Viz Dev team is. That's their thing. They do characters where you can take bits from the comic. So Andy, who is our the head of our Viz Dev, mm -hmm. he's really good at taking elements of the comic because they know them way better than I do. And, and that's where they're useful. When it's more clothing-based, that's kind of what I do. Mm -hmm. So that's where the collaboration really comes in. Mm -hmm. We have a few new characters in this that, you know, they have to be fit in with the rest of the movie, but you need to know that they're who they're, they are from yeah. the comic. Yeah. So yeah. there's something got to be there. So, like I said, Andy did that really well. Yeah, like with Mantis mm -hmm. in particular. Where... Mantis or some of the smaller surprise characters that are coming in <laughs> that I won't mention right now. <laughs> but, you know, there's bits on them, so, you know, you know, fans will really know, and people who really read the comics are going to know who that guy is. Yeah. Fantastic. Or girl. <laughs> uh, great. Well, I think we've taken up enough cool. of your time. Thank great. you so much for joining us, John. You're welcome. Um, You're welcome. And everyone else who is listening, stay tuned. We'll have more from the set of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Again, this week in Marvelites, Mark and Patrick back more Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 set action with Palm Clementine. How are you doing? I'm good, and you? <laughs> uh, I'm, All right, I'm that good. concludes the interview. Thank yep. you. That's it. Much. Okay, bye. Right. Thank right. you. Yep, got everything we need. Uh, no, I, I must say the first thing I have to notice is the fact that you have several dots mm -hmm. all over your face. Yeah, but I think they're not going to use them at the end. <laughs> no, no, but no, I, I no, I but I mean, like, it was supposed to be for for them to be able to make my eyes bigger, to ah, make me really? more like a bug. Ah, but actually, you know, they, they saw, you know, what it is, how it looks like without, and it looks better. And I, I think I'm happy with it because, you know, my character is a lot, it's, there's a lot of emotions. Yes. And I think it's good if you can keep the eyes, you know, the eyes are the mirror of the soul. So if you change the shape or, you know, if you add some CGI in it, it can be tough to, you know, to access all 
you know, the soul so of now the character. So, do you get to pocket the money that would have gone to making the visual effects, I assume? Oh, I have to, no idea. I think <laughs> I think they, they make enough money. I think they're good, right? I think you're good, <laughs> well, guys, they, right? They do okay, I guess. <laughs> oh. Uh, but you do have still the sort of half and nipples. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Looks like nipples on my forehead. <laughs> no, it's yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be much bigger. The yes. The antennas. Yes, I was curious. Like, have they shown you like designs yes, for what that Yes, they looks showed like? me. Yeah. It looks so cute. I love it. <laughs> no, no, it's you know with the CGI what they do, it's just amazing. You know, it's, it really completes the character. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's 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 really pretty. Do you, do you get a hard time from like, you know, Zoe has to be green and Karen has to be blue and Dave has to be gray and then you get to come in and they just put a couple dots on your face? <laughs> do they give you a hard time about that? No, 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 they're nice. You know, they're not jealous. Okay, you know, sometimes my, my pickup call in the morning is uh, later than them. So sometimes they're like, oh, you're lucky. But, you know. Must be nice to stroll in so late. Yeah. Well, nice. particularly I still have a, you know, like 4 a.m. pickup call sometimes. You know, it's, it's okay. It's not too well, late. Well, since in the comics, Mantis, or one of the Mantis incarnations, is green. Mm-hmm. So I imagine you were thankful that you would not be sitting. In, <laughs> they would not be using that look involving you sitting <laughs> I, in a chair for I don't know, five when, hours. When I, when I got the role, I didn't think of, you know, how many hours I would spend in the maker chair, you know? When you have to, to do that for a character, you just do it. And I would have been happy to do it. And... You know, when you got this role, how sort of did that come about? Because to hear James sort of uh, talk about the character and talk about the role, it mm-hmm. seems so like you were. Spoilers, there will be tilting and gunfire <laughs> in the movie. Sorry, like I say, we are literally on the set right now. Um, but it seems like, you know, the way James talks, like he always had you in mind for like this type of role. So how did you, how did it even come about? What? How did uh, you gang the role come about? Oh, I what I, I got a first audition with the casting director Sarah Finn, mm-hmm. who's amazing, and and then a callback with her and James, James Gunn, <laughs> and then they flew me to Atlanta to all uh, to to do the screen test here, actually. Nice. And and was there any sort of trepidation of? This is a huge movie, uh, coming off the success of the first one, of and course. knowing that there was such a tight family unit established, mm-hmm. were you nervous coming into that? Uh, I, I mean, even when I got the audition, I was so excited, because I, it was always my dream to one day be a superhero or an alien and have superpowers and to be, and, you know, to be, um, to be, a, to be allowed to be weird. to to be granted permission to be weird yes no and and i loved the first movie so much guardians of the galaxy i mean you know for me you know it was so was so funny and so moving and so special you know it's not like any other superhero movies that i that i saw before so i was really excited about that and when i got the role i was just you know so happy and um and the fact that it's james who did the first movie and he does the sequel and he wrote it you know it's his baby you know you, you can just trust him and go for it you know he's a genius so and you're talking about sort of being allowed to embrace the weird with this role you know mantis she's such a she is such a strange and unique character in that she seems so pure and and innocent but mm-hmm. so 
well-rounded at the same time. Yeah, like but I mean, it's, it's what James did about uh, with with this character yeah. in the coming books. I'm sure it was not was not like that, right? Right, right. Well, she's uh, there are elements of her yeah. in what you're doing. Yeah, but it's certainly a, a new take on it. Um, I mean, it's for me, it's interesting as a as a woman to do to do that instead. Of, you know, usually when you're in a Marvel movie. In a superhero movie, and you're a girl, you're a badass, sexy, strong. You don't want to show your weaknesses, and you know, right? Which is amazing. I love to see that. But it's interesting to play something else, to play something weirder, and you know, strange, and you know, how she has insecurities, and you know, she and has it, flaws, and. Uh, but for for the character of Mantis, you know, like how much. <laughs> There's there's a lot going on in the background. And wow. let's go. Let's take it back up. I'd like to try that, but it's too dangerous. Well, yeah, it's I so, mean, it's so my last day. I could break, you know, something. But they, they can. They do wonders with CGI these days. They have full characters. So, so uh, what was the experience like taking on such a physical role? What was the wildest physical stunt you got to do? Actually, I, I would have loved to do more, actually, because I, I love to, to train and to do martial arts and, you know, to do stuff like that. But, you know, like they, they want to protect you by, you know, using stunt doubles. And I get it, you know, some stuff are dangerous and why would you take that risk? It's stupid, you know? Anyway, um, no, there is just one, one thing that I did with, uh, I had to wear a, a harness and um and zoe had to uh, uh yeah zoe had to uh, just like put me against the, the wall and like, choke me <laughs> and so i had to do as if i was having a normal conversation and then she's just like <laughs> sh- you know the, um, a wire was pulling me up the the wall like really oh, high. To m- like her it was like a blah, blah, blah conversation and then whoosh, up the wall like and she's uh, choking me so it was kind of it was interesting no it's interesting because you have to position yourself you know in the, the, you have to be careful, you know, if you put your foot uh, too much, you know, on the right, it's just you can break your neck. <laughs> and we don't want that to happen. <laughs> no. We, we, we should mention that we just cut out a segment uh, a couple minutes ago where we had to be quiet because they just tilted this giant frame thing and three stunt doubles fell out of it onto mm-hmm. mattresses. I don't know. That's not something that I would be <laughs> eager to do. Maybe with a swimming pool. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> right? Maybe, maybe if they're dumping me into a swimming pool, mm-hmm. I'd take it. Full and of champagne. <laughs> yes, full of champagne. <laughs> you should drop by the Marvel offices sometimes. <laughs> we have a few of those. Uh, so, so with with all the CGI in the film, uh, what are you most looking forward to seeing in the finished film that you didn't get to comprehend? With all the blue screen and all the animatics. No, I, I'm yeah, I'm gonna be happy to see all you know the landscape. I'm sure it's gonna be so beautiful, and also you know Baby Groot. <laughs> oh yeah, yes. I, I mean, I'm just obsessed with him, and everybody w- is gonna be obsessed with him. Yeah. I, I mean, even reading the script, I was like, he's incredible. And it's thanks to James. I mean, like you know, he invented him. <laughs> you want him as a pet. <laughs> Um, And going back to sort of uh, your character as coming in as a new character, bringing new dynamics to everyone, how did you sort of 
What was your sense of Mantis's sort of overall role in the film? Not just not just talking about you know her role in terms of the plot and everything, but just in terms of the overall dynamic between all the characters. Oh my God, I didn't think of that. <laughs> I don't know. Well, it's your I last day. Don't don't start thinking about it now. <laughs> No, I, di- I, I didn't think of that. I don't know. I think, you know, every every character is really special. And they, they it's, it's just what I love about these movies. You know, they're all so different. You know, they're misfits. And they just get, they have a strange connection that just brings them, them all together. I mean, one, in reading the script, the dynamic I most appreciated of you and another character was uh, Mantis and Drax. Mm-hmm. Because they have a very... Uh, unique uh, dynamic between them in that Drax takes everything so literally yeah or he has no filter and uh, stuff like that but Mm -hmm. I also feel like Mantis also kind of lacks that filter in certain ways yeah I think yeah but I think she's like a kid you know there is something like a child you know that doesn't know things and she's discovering things and feelings and just so she she doesn't want to be mean you know she wants to be to be loved and to be polite but she says weird things sometimes without knowing it <laughs> you know it's like kids you know you have to teach them I'm like no you you can't say that while we're in public <laughs> yes uh, so, some of us never learned those lessons <laughs> no uh, <clears throat> but also in terms of just I feel like she has such a not only innocent mind but an innocent uh Everything about her seems so pure, just down to like sort of seeing the way you move across the stage and some of like the scenes mm-hmm. that we've done, where everything seems so fluid and so pure and so uh, purposeful without necessarily knowing the purpose, if that makes any sense, mm-hmm. even in terms of what you say and everything. How did you go about developing that physicality to sort of mirror the inner personality of Mantis? Um, I thought of, of several things. Um, I thought of, um, you know, the relationship that she had with, uh, uh, you know, Kurt, Kurt Russell's character. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the way she moves, she, she, she doesn't want to be to be seen too much. She's trying to be, you know, polite and, you know, soft. And, uh, and there is something that makes me think of, a, of an insect, of course, when I, you know, when I thought of mantis, even, even the name of mantis. So the way that I put my arms together, you know, and when I'm, when I'm stressed out, I just like, I just like um, put my, rub my hands together like, a, like an insect, like a, a praying mantis oh, and stuff like that. And I, I thought of, you know, Mr. Burns in The Simpsons. <laughs> I love this character. <laughs> so I was thinking of like this position, you know, like of my of my hands. So I have that a lot. Of, but at the end of the, of the movie, I kind of like lose it because I, I'm I'm more and more with um, human beings, and you know, I I can have a connection a, with them. I cannot <laughs> think of a more opposite character from Mantis <laughs> than Mr. Burns. I know. <laughs> like, but it made me laugh. You, you go, you go from like that. pure evil to like pure <laughs> <know>. innocence. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and, the, and the way she discovers, you know, emotions, you know, it makes me think of. Do you remember the Luc Besson movie, of the Fifth Element? Yeah. You know when she sees all the the things, all the the, the war, and you know all these things that she doesn't know. 
that exist in the world. Yeah. I think Mentes is like that. You know, she's mm. she's innocent and she discovers things and it moves them, touches her. And speaking of praying mantis, uh, if you could eat the head of one of your cast members, <laughs> whose head would you eat? What? Where did that <laughs> come from? That? Praying mantis. Yeah, but, all right. I don't know. I think Dave's head looks... There is more meat on it. Looks like it. You know, it has a bigger head, so I think it would be test, tastier. And, and there's no hair, so you don't have to deal with, like, pulling yeah, hairs that, out or anything. Yeah, that's, that's right. What a weird question. <laughs> wow, wow. I think you topped your, your past questions so there, Patrick. <laughs> and you, who would you eat? <laughs> oh, do, do you want to try and redeem yourself after that? Oh, no, that was, that was the closer. That was the, we're going to go out on a high note. Oh, boy. Now, all right, switching tacks. Uh, you know, joining something like this, obviously you're kind of joining mid, not well not midstream in that it's a whole new movie but it certainly is something that's like previously established and all that um, and with the idea of being able to continue more mm-hmm. you're talking about yeah uh, to play this character at 60, 60 years old yeah no but I you, am Mantis <laughs> then you're more like Mr. Burns <laughs> yes but you mentioned, you know, Mantis being sort of exposed to more of the world and more emotions and learning more about it and everything. How do you think that has sort of changed her over the course of the movie? And how do you think it could potentially continue to change her? Oh, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. I would love for her to, uh, to be able to fight, like, to develop some martial arts skills, because... <laughs> I've been training and I love to, uh, you know, to kick and to do stuff like that. I would love to do that. Well, she certainly does some. And you know, like comics, I have like so. some, I have some wings here. Like maybe she could fly at some point. Oh yeah, I didn't even know. Yeah, my costume. Like a wing motif on your costume. Well, we can put in a word with James about the next movie and what, <laughs> okay. some suggestions for your character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me put in the word, Patrick, not you. Uh, Thank you for joining us, Pom. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I apologize for Patrick. As no, always. it's good. <laughs> he was uh, he was adorable. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, and congratulations on wrapping. Since thank this you. This is your last day. Yes. Boo. It's sad because I'm I'm really happy here. Like everyone is so nice, and I love working with James. He's the best, and you know everyone is so cool. And but I feel really lucky. <laughs> so yep, that's Great. it. All right, well, everyone keep on listening for more from the set of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Uh, This week at Marvelites, we're back. Mark and Patrick still on the set of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Like we always say, literally on the set, so apologize. Apologies for some of the background noise. That's all realistic. (laughs) It makes it real. Even that, that's our first AD uh, talking over the loudspeaker, ruining this interview. Uh, And if you can't tell, we're talking with the film's writer-director, James Gunn. How, How are you doing today, James? How am I doing today? Yeah. Uh, today I'm doing great. I mean, we're nearing the end of our shoot. I think we're something like, I don't know, 85 days in or something like that. So this has been a heck of a shoot. I'm 
in Atlanta, Georgia. We've been here since September, so we've been here for much longer than that. Um, and uh, and quite frankly, I'm ready for this all to end. But it's been a good 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 trip. So all right, now let's take it back a day. How were you yesterday? Yesterday, I was not as good as I was today. I knew it. I could tell. <laughs> I could just tell there was something about you. Yeah. No. I mean, listen. It's it's been a it's it's. Uh, the whole film has gone profoundly well. It's been extremely smooth, much smoother than the first movie. The actors have all improved. The, I think the whole movie in general is much better. But you know, it just gets to be like a, you know, a, a, you know, a marathon after a while, yeah. and you, you get you get a little tired near the end. Yeah. Now with this one, uh, with volume two. This really completely stemmed from you. With the first film, there had already been, you know, a script and some yep. development on it and everything. And you came on fairly early on, but there was still yep. some work on beforehand. Yes, yep, that's true. How was it? How was the those first days in the development process for this one different from uh, different? How was this one different from the first one? Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, you know, listen, I think that the the first one was, you know, different for a superhero movie. Uh, Number one in that it's not really a superhero movie. It's more of a space opera. Uh, But I think there were a lot of other different things about it. The music, the the, the style of humor, the style of dialogue, the way these strange aliens related to each other in normal ways. Um, I think that it it had a lot of that, and I think that that just bolstered... uh, you know our courage so that this one is even more unusual in many respects and and so i'm sure with the first film you had plenty of ideas that for whatever reason whether it be time or budget you couldn't fit into the first film so when you found out you were going to get to do the sequel uh, were there certain things that you that jumped to mind right yeah. away? I mean, I think the biggest thing is in the first movie, we had to set up a bunch of characters in the first half hour of the movie. And that gets to be really difficult. That was the most difficult part of the first movie. So I think in this one, we really, you know, we know the characters, so we're a lot more free. All of the characters are a little more full in this one because we don't have to set them up so quickly. I also think in the first movie there was the arc of the characters and what they were doing in life and becoming a family, and then there was what was going on with the villain, uh, which was almost a separate story. I think in this one those things are much more intertwined. The stories of the families and the stories of the villains are much different, are much more just intertwined. They're all part of one thing. And so from the initial treatment, you probably had in mind, oh, well, this character would be great if they were played by this person. Uh, so as you were actually writing the script, uh, did you have the new actors who came in in mind? I mean, I didn't. I mean, I think, you know, the, the, the primary characters are, are Quill's father and, uh, um, you know, Elizabeth Debicki's character and Palm, uh, Palm's character, Mantis. And uh, Quill's father, uh, you know, I, I thought of early on, but the other two were actors who I didn't even know existed. Um, and I, I don't really write them for actors. I write them more thinking of them as a very particular character. And I will say, especially in those two instances, um, we just got the perfect actresses for those roles that fit the character. I cannot believe how well Palm fits Mantis. It seems like the role is written for her. But the truth is, is we just got very fortunate in finding Palm and, and there actually not being that many 
roles for uh, Asian a actors in American films, and so we really got the cream of the crop with Palm. And specifically with Mantis, that seems like a character that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like a character that you were really eager to get into this story from the get-go. Yeah. Um, what about the character wanted you to made you say like, oh, she is definitely going to be in the sequel? Well, I think, um, you know, I, I think there's something about the character that's sort of different and off kilter, and I think the other two uh, primary, uh, you know, uh, female characters in the movie are kind of our coolest characters in a way. Yeah. It's Gamora <laughs> and Nebula. And I actually wanted a character who wasn't so cool. In the same way that, you know, Groot and Star-Lord are often making mistakes and kind of buffoons in certain ways. I wanted a female character who was as weird and wacky as those characters, that was as full of character as those male characters. And I think that Mantis served as a great template for somebody who could be very, very, very odd. And that's what Palm is. Very odd, very funny, but also very innocent and very lovable. And speaking of new characters, uh, what was it like when you found out that Kurt Russell had signed on to do the movie? I mean, I was excited. I've been a huge fan of Kurt since I was a very small kid. I mean, even before Star Wars came out, when I was very young, my favorite movie was The Strongest Man in the World, starring yeah. Kurt Russell, and I used to see him in those old Disney movies. But then more so, uh, Escape from New York and The Thing are two of my favorite movies. So getting Kurt in the movie was a dream come true. But even more than that is who Kurt actually is as a guy. He's just a great guy who, despite his, you know, dozens of years of stardom, is still a really just down-to-earth, friendly person who takes his job very seriously, but also has a good time acting and, and really gets into it and isn't just coming here for a paycheck like a lot of actors do who, you know, maybe are a little bit older and are kind of over it and don't really, you know, want to be doing a, a Marvel movie. Right. I feel like Patrick mostly came on this visit so he could ask questions about Kurt Russell and live vicariously yeah. through. The, well, he's through been you in guys. this studio before. Yeah, not only he's he been, been here. He was here the other day. I mean, he's over shooting uh, Fast and yeah. Furious Eight, and he's been coming by and hanging out with us <laughs> because he just became friends with us. So he's just—he really is, truly and honestly—he's he's just a great guy. Wow. Uh, <laughs> In developing the story for this, too, I feel like the first one was very much about the characters finding out about what's in themselves and discovering what they themselves are truly capable of. I feel like this one, a lot of it is about the characters discovering what is outside of themselves and sort of discovering, like, the... Uh, relationships they have with one another and deepening those. Yeah, I think that's a, that's actually a great way to put it. I don't think of it exactly like that, but that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think the first movie was about a bunch of outcasts and villains. <laughs> you mean to wait for that? Uh, uh, there's there's a school bus coming in. Yeah, right now, we're, so. we're <laughs> backing exploding. up towards us. We just yeah. don't want to get out of the way. I mean, I think I think that's a great way to put it. I think that you know, in the first one, it really was about these characters who were outcasts. And villains, basically, learning that inside of themselves there was something redeemable and good. And in this one, it is about those relationships with each other. The way, the way I kind of think about it, though, in a lot of ways, is the first one is about becoming a family, and this one is about being a family. Mm -hmm. and, and there's a lot of, 
difficulties about that because it isn't a more intimate story. It is a story that goes a little deeper into the characters and that proposes you know, a lot of dramatic challenges in telling a story. But I, I think it works. I think it works well, and I think the actors have truly been up to the challenge. And I think it's good to see these characters have a difficult time with, you know, it's one thing to become somebody's friend and say, "Hey, you're my friend," or become a family member with someone. It's one thing to get married, and another thing to be married. It's a lot more difficult, and I think that's a problem you see our characters coming up against. So we can assume that uh, you have another uh, uh, group of songs very tightly integrated yeah. into the film. So what's that process like of, is it you're writing the scripts and songs come to mind? Is it before even you started writing, you had the songs in your head? How do they How do they play off of one it, another? It's all of those things. I mean, I'm always searching for songs. I'm always listening to songs. There's one song on the new soundtrack on volume two, which I, a song I had never heard before that somebody posted to me on Twitter one time. And I'm like, <laughs> is that even a real song? I've never heard that. I thought it maybe was a modern band doing a retro yeah. style song. But I think that for me, it's like, I'm always looking for music. I'm very into music. And while I'm writing the script, sometimes I have a song in mind. Like that's a, you know, there's one song in particular. It's a big part of the story. Um, and then there are other songs that I'm looking for something that fits the scene and something will come to mind. Other times I'll just listen to, you know, truly hundreds of songs looking for the right song that fits that scene. But they're all written into the script at a very early stage. I feel like with this movie, you know, sometimes blockbusters, the first one starts off smaller and more intimate and that gets bigger after that. And I feel like here you've almost done the opposite yeah. where this second one feels much more intimate because you've laid the groundwork for the characters and you really do do a great job at delving more into what makes them tick and their bonds and part of that is that you also are very strategic in the new characters that you introduce so that you allow the established characters to breathe i was yeah. curious what were you know, having in mind that you walked into this really wanting to explore the established characters, what were your criteria for bringing in a new character? What criteria did they have to meet in order to I, I justify mean, their qu presence? You know, quite honestly, there were like two guardians I wanted to introduce. And in my first treatment, I had two guardians introduced. I mean, it depends on what way you look at it, who's a new guardian or not. But, you know, is Yandu a new guardian? I mean, it's... Yes, he is. This <laughs> yeah. movie. I was going to say, also, you would be the authority on but that. He's also, yeah. yeah, but he's also already in the movie. Right, so yeah. new. But there were two brand new characters I was going to introduce, and I wrote the treatment, you know, an early version of the treatment with, with uh, a mantis and another character. And it just, it just got to be too busy. I felt like each of the characters were just not getting enough time for themselves to truly have their arc developed. Um, and that includes, you know, some of the smaller characters, some of the Ravagers and Kraglin and these other characters who they just didn't get their full amount of time. And by removing that character, who I would love to deal with in a future movie, um, I felt like everybody got their right amount of time. I also think in that time that I was writing the treatment, I saw a couple of superhero movies that I just felt like had too many heroes in them. And you, they didn't get their time. And so certain people were short shrifted. So I really didn't want to have that. I wanted each character to get their moments, to have their full arc, um, for the story to affect each of them personally and not have any bystanders. So the first thing I did was actually take out all of 
the truly smaller roles. Like in Guardians 1, there were a lot of roles that were, you know, three lines, four lines, all that. And I, I just removed all that stuff and really concentrated on the primary characters. And coming into this, sort of having, you know, bolstered by the response of the first film, uh, particularly while, you know, while you were making the first one, you had no idea that was going to become what it became. Uh, how much did that em- like embolden you to sort of embrace even more weirdness? Like, uh, like I was talking, we were talking with Pom, and she was talking about how like one of the things that really drew her to this was that she was really allowed to embrace the weird with her character yeah. and sort of go to places that she probably wouldn't have been able to with other films or other directors. Yeah. So I was wondering how much did you embrace it and how much did you sort of, you know, also want to keep it contained and sort of in line with what came before? Yeah, I mean, I don't I, I don't think of it as weirdness necessarily, but I do think of it as it's unique. Mm-hmm. And some of the specific characters are weird especially Mantis. (laughs) She's very, very weird. You know, Drax is very weird, too. So I think it's about, for me, it was a, but it was about embracing those things that I thought maybe on the first movie I was afraid of. You know, was the music too much? Were the long dialogue scenes too much? Were these things that the audience wasn't going to like, the oddness, the humor? Was there too much humor in the movie? These were all things I was afraid of. Uh, The drama, you know, there was a lot of drama in the first movie. And I think in those, this movie, I just pushed all those things because those were actually the things the audience embraced the most. The oddness of the characters, the humor, the, uh, the the emotional moments, and I think those are all things that are just a lot bigger in this movie, and definitely it emboldened me the first the response to the first film. And when you went into filming the first film, you were coming off of obviously much smaller films. You were coming off of Super and and Slither yeah. and even Trauma films. Yeah. So you know, I'm sure it was a, it was a very shocking experience. So now with your experience on the first film. Uh, uh, how do you still kind of incorporate those micro-budget filmmaking techniques into such a massive production? Well, I actually think that those... Uh, the truth is that I produced big-budget movies, so I'd actually been around a lot of big-budget movies, um, and I'd been making movies for nearly 20 years before I did the first film. So it, I had a lot of experience. It really is always the same to me. It's really about you're putting a bunch of frames together and you're telling a story with those frames. And so in some ways it doesn't matter. I actually think I had to unlearn some habits that I, that I had from low-budget filmmaking. You know, I think I have a natural inclination to save money and move really quickly and just get stuff. And right. I think sometimes I settled too much in the first in the first film. There were times when, oh, I have to make my day. But the truth is, is that amount of money you save isn't as big as it is on a you know proportionally as it would be on a low budget film. Hey, so on this movie, right. I had to I had to untrain myself a little bit, hey, and I truly believe right. that you know repetition is okay. is the the biggest factor in success and so having people do things again and again and again and again and trying stunts again and again and trying camera shots again and again I actually took my time more on this one in terms of making sure I got things right and it actually wasn't easier like in some ways I thought oh that would be easier because it's less stressful but it actually it's more exhausting Uh, but I think that we have a finer quality film because of it 
in terms of you know you talk about things sort of being uh, easier in some sense when you're writing the script for the for this one for volume two after having worked on the first one did it come more naturally to you? Was it easier for you to write that 70-page yeah, document it after was. having lived with them I for mean, that long? I th- mean, they were both pretty easy to write, um, but there was a, a framework around which I wrote the first movie um, that were, you know, basically the locations that were being used. So it was a different experience, but both came pretty easily. I mean, the characters come, they, they, they come pretty naturally to me. And, uh, um, this one, I think, though, was easier for a few reasons. Number one, I just felt like the story was more organic, so it, be- it was easier because of that. And I felt like I knew the characters better, and that was a huge plus. I mean, the first time I wrote Drax in a certain way, and there were certain aspects of that personality that were perfect for Dave Batista. There were other aspects of that personality that changed slightly once Dave incorporated you know, himself into that role. And so writing the second movie, I'm writing for Chris Pratt, I'm writing for Dave Bautista, I'm writing for Zoe Saldana, and that makes the movie, you know, the characters stronger in a lot of ways. So I think it was easier because of that. And it just, honestly, it just wasn't as scary knowing that there's an audience out there that's, that's waiting to see Guardians of the Galaxy the first time around. Even most Marvel Comics fans didn't know who the Guardians of the Galaxy were, much less the general population. So it was, uh, it was, it was a lot scarier the first time around because of that. And now you know that people want to see more of a talking raccoon and a walking in tree. In a walking tree, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the idea of Baby Groot, too, was that... How early on did you have the idea that Groot would take... Because in the comics, we've seen yeah. previously Groot destroyed and taken in and sort of grown into a little pod plant. But yeah. He's always grown very quickly yeah. in the comics. We've never seen him sort of take this staggered aging that you show. Yeah. Like, how... Or how early on did you know that would happen? Was that from the days of Guardians 1, or was that in hammering out Guardians 2? No, I think, you know, I, I, I knew that the movie was going to begin with Baby Groot. Um, I wasn't certain. I mean, maybe even at one point I didn't even know that. But I know that it was very early on that I knew... Th- I, I trust my instinct a lot in what, what feels right, and... Uh, what seems logical and at a certain point I'm like why do I have to make him become Big Groot I mean I'm loving playing with the character of Baby Groot so I'm going to just keep him Baby Groot for the whole movie um, which is which is what I did I, it just felt like the right thing to do and I felt like his place in the Guardians served a pretty key function in the way the other characters react to Baby Groot. And it is a story about parents. It's a story, the first movie is a story about mothers, second movie is a story about fathers in a lot of ways. And how, you know, Drax and Quill and uh, Gamora react to Baby Groot says a lot about where they are with that aspect of themselves. And, And they all shift pretty dramatically throughout the film in how they you know, take on the role of being a parent. The only one who really does it well from the beginning is is uh, Gamora. Interesting. That's true. Which is fitting, given that you've sort of covered, like you say, the mother ground in the first one. Yeah. And then the second one's more about fatherhood. Yeah. I mean, I think in the first movie, too, uh, Gamora came in. She was the only one that really had some moral grounding yeah. in the first film. and uh, Which is surprising, given that her... Uh, 
profession in the world. Her fr- if you, she's probably killed more people than any <laughs> of the other guardians by far, and yet she was the one who had ha- already had some type of coming to terms with her identity and what she wanted to do in life. Also, with a bigger idea, probably a bigger sense of guilt and shame than the yeah. other characters, um, in terms of what she needed to make up for. You know, and her sister is the opposite. I mean, D- Nebula is the one who's the least morally um, evolved, I suppose you would say. Yeah. Well, although we do get to see in in the second one a more sympathetic or empathetic side to. Oh yeah, uh, Nebula. Yeah, I mean, I think as a, as a film, you know, as a film goes on, you you think of. If Gamora is a good one and Nebula is a bad one, and you you learn that isn't really always that hasn't always been the case. Yeah. Their their history as children, um, the way Nebula looks at it, especially, is a lot different than that. All right. Well, I think we're getting the wrap up sign. So ah, I gotta go shoot. We'll let we'll, well. Let, you, we'll let you get back to work and finish the movie. Okay, guys. Uh, thank you so much for talking with us, James. Thanks, you Marvel. Okay, guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Welcome back. This week in Marvelites, this is Mark and Patrick still on the set of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. We're here now with Michael Rooker, Yandu. How are you doing, sir? I do good, man. How y'all? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm good. How Yandu do? Yandu do good. Oh, God. Yeah, I'm the Yandu guy. I should have predicted that pun. That's our uh, first AD yeah. in the background. So much of the story is about family, what with uh, Quill meeting his actual father, you know, and Yandu, uh, he sort of feels like uh, a leader of his own family in a way with the Ravagers. Um, uh, do you do you sort of see Yandu as a more paternal figure right, go, for so either the Ravagers, for Quill, or anything like that? I I didn't really I didn't really have a paternal feeling for the Ravagers. Those are those are my 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 guys, and and, and um, but I think for Quill for sure. Yeah, you know, there's that there's that kind of emotional stuff going on but but um, Yandu's an alien he doesn't know how to shoot so, uh, that kind of stuff like uh, a human so being he's a firm believer in tough love you know so I mean Yandu's a tough guy and he, and he and he raised Quill to be pretty darn tough so he could survive and not not get eaten Aliens have feelings too, Michael. <laughs> yes, but they're not the same as human feelings. <laughs> they're in a word, alien. Alien. Alien humanoid feelings. Uh, <laughs> but it is it is family, and it is that commitment, and it is the the, the emotional commitment between. Uh, the, I mean, you you've, you know you know what it's about. So yes, yeah, you got you got the. You got that going on, and that 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 whole love hate uh, kind of when you're when you're really close to somebody, you know, you, you're you almost can't talk normal. 
and uh, you're always fighting and always just the, our relationship me and quill's relationship is like combative almost yeah. all the time <laughs> Who, who from the cast, having said that, you know, family plays such an important role, who from the cast would you most like to have in your family? Uh, in, in Yandu's family. Well, Yandu or, or Michael Rooker's family. Michael Rooker's family. Well, you, you know, that, look, all of these, all of these, all of these crazy characters are part of Michael Rooker's family right now, you know? <laughs> It's so amazing because we're on our last week and it really has, it is, it does feel like a family, you know, and, uh, and um, it's pretty, pretty darn amazing. We're having a great time. And, and as far as the movie goes, it, it's definitely, uh, definitely a family oriented piece that really, you, you feel the commitment, you know, you feel the, 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 the power and all all that emotional stuff that goes along with it it's pretty darn cool and as i'm sure you knew like once the the first film came out everyone was you know once they saw it they said who cares about drax who cares about Groot? we need more yondu so you knew (laughs) that you are the reason there's a sequel is because people couldn't get enough yondu so did you talk to james about demands of what your character would get to do (laughs) demands no (laughs) <laughs> I, I'm always demanding stuff from James Gunn, but he never delivers. <laughs> well, well, from yeah, all he, the- he had, he had already in his mind um, what was what was sort of going to happen in the second one. He was he was already planning it before the first one was over, and um, that's why I think. Uh, uh, Yandu in the in, uh, Guardians One was written so well and performed exquisitely. I mean, I'm oh, mad. I'm uh, quite but, good. Quite but good. It was written so well that that you couldn't really you couldn't edit a lot of that out. Everything that I everything almost almost everything we shot is in the movie Guardians One. Right. This this one has. More, there's there's much more of Yondu in here, mm-hmm. but there's also, that's what everyone wanted. But there's also much, a little bit more of a, a give and take. You can like cut, you know, you can edit a little bit more uh, creatively with this with this uh, volume two uh, because there's more there's more here, and so you as opposed to the first one, there was like it was so lean and so exacting and so pretty damn perfectly written that you're not going to get rid of a lot of that that's what what is there is what you see is almost what every is what was written you know and that almost never happens there's always stuff on the cutting room floor Mm -hmm. there's a little bit in guardians one but in guardians 2 there may be a little bit more because we there's more more you have more leeway you know so but it all it's still very well written and very Exacting, and it is pretty cool for an actor to get to to do a, a, a script that you don't have to go. You know, we need to rewrite. Yeah, this you can't really improve that, upon it. Yeah, yeah that you, you can know. just read it verbatim, so and your, it's your improvement upon it is you adding you adding your character into it. That improves upon the writing. 
but you don't have to go, you know, I think it's missing something. You know, but sometimes you do, you get that, but it's, they're not, it's not too often. Not in his, in his scripts, anyway. Now, obviously, one of the big draws for you for the first uh, Guardians was the fact that you knew James, you had worked with James, you're good friends with James. Mm. Um, coming back for Volume 2, how much of the draw was getting to work with James again, and how much of the draw was getting to be able to play as Yandu again? Uh, above and beyond any of this, anything else, working with my pal again is is paramount you know it's amazing to get to to putz around and goof around with him you know and see all the see all the stress that he watch him like watch him deal with it yeah watch him pull his hair oh god i love it when he's all stressed out i like stand there behind him laughing my butt off Uh, but yeah the script is script script is crazy man it's good it's 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 really good, and, and it's fun to, fun to see. It's fun to read. It's fun to... It's kind of interesting to see, oh, my gosh, people are actually wrapping out. Zoe Zardano just wrapped out. So, yeah. uh, and I think we got uh, Palm is going to wrap out uh, maybe today as well. So you're leaving. You're, you know, you know some, of the, some of the family members are leaving. So it's... Uh, an interesting time that we do this so very cool and you have such a, a a long and extensive career in so many different types of films um is there a certain type of film that you gravitate towards that you prefer to play in or is it just really all dependent on the script and no matter what genre it is no matter what kind of tv show it is if the script is there that's what's most important that's really where it's at you know the script is where it's at and uh, what you're also you're an artist so Depends on where you're at as an artist. You know, sometimes I'll get a good, I'll see a, a comedy script will come across my path. I just don't feel like being funny. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like more like I want to just hurt things and break things, you know. And so I work that way. That's my, that's what I do. I, I Sometimes I feel funny and I can laugh and make, do make funny <laughs> But I don't normally feel that way when I'm working, <laughs> you know. And that's why, I, you know, I get cast and my roles are... I like to add humor in my roles. Because, you know, the, the, the intensity of some of these roles that I've played really needs just a little bit, right. tiny bit of... Uh, needs some levity. Of like, oh my God, look at his head. It's rolling down the street. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. <laughs> You oh boy, you've just—you just shouldn't have kicked it. Spo- spoilers! Spo- spoilers for the end of Guardians Volume Two. He—he he rips <laughs> off Rocket's head and kicks it down the street. He kicks it down the street and then says, "Why is it rolling down the street?" Where did that little rat go. <laughs> Everyone says, "Oh, Yondu." That Yondu, I swear. Credits roll. <laughs> the Guardians will be back, except for Rockets. <laughs> Oh, God. How funny. I mean, after working on the... After working on the first movie, how hard was it to relearn how to control that arrow with your whistle? (laughs) You know what? Because they redid my teeth. Really? Really? Yeah. I had to to go to the dentist and have my teeth redone. And it's, it's really a lot harder to whistle. 
with these new teeth. And I like, the first one I had the teeth, I was like, I love these teeth, I, I can whistle with them. Yeah, but we're making the la la. So I was like, oh, geez, okay. I got it. And then I had to like spend time adjusting the teeth, trying to get, trying to get the whistle back, you know. And and it's kind of like I I I don't I don't like not whistling, <laughs> you know, pretending like you're whistling. <laughs> you can't yeah. whistle at all. I like to have I like to be able to actually do the whistling. So, I, I was going to comment about how good it is that you aren't some like crazy Daniel Day Lewis level method actor because with Yandu's terrible teeth, I can just imagine like you're like, no, I've got to make my teeth as terrible as possible. I like you're just saying they're like smashing teeth out and eating the worst <laughs> food possible, never brushing them for six months to get into character. Oh man, <laughs> I, you know what? I did a movie called. Um, Mississippi Burning, mm-hmm. long time ago, and I, I tried my, I tried to chew tobacco. Right. I almost threw up my guts. <laughs> I can't imagine anyone doing that, but it, they do it, and they, you know, people do it. And so my character was uh, had tobacco, chewing tobacco, and so what I used instead was prunes. <laughs> I used prunes because you know, prunes are really good. It, yeah. It, it looked the same, and when you spit. Same, like, dark color. Prune juice spits really well. But I ended up with two cavities. (laughs) After the movie, I realized, why why are my teeth aching? And I went in, and I had two major cavities where I held this prune in my jaw for, like, eight hours. It's crazy. you got to watch what you do. Is there... uh, is there any truth to the rumor that for the sequel, you were also supposed to be shirtless the whole movie, but then when Dave Bautista saw you walk on set, was just so intimidated by your physique, they then had to put clothes this on is you? True. This okay, is true. I knew it. Yeah, I knew it. Absolutely, this is true. Um, Dave is a really nice man, and but you know he is a little. Uh, he's let himself you know, go. He's, you know, he's he's jealous of my body, man. Uh, what can I say? I mean. My biceps are about 15 and a half inches. Yeah, I, I heard that uh, Groot in the first movie, the dimensions were taken from your biceps and, you know, like your tree trunk legs. Yeah. I, I heard that that photo of Chris Pratt from when he was training for Guardians 1 that he tweeted out was actually just you with Chris's head photoshopped on. Yeah, of course. I mean, they, they do that all the time. You know? They have entire characters that are... I'm in many movies, my body at least. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I believe all of Magic Mike, the entire <laughs> troupe, was you. That's right. No one ever put together. They all look I exactly the same. Except for the heads. Uh, but, I mean, you do transform with, like, the blue and all the special effects. Is it just something like knowing that you have it on transports you into Yondu? You know what? It takes about an hour and 45 minutes, two hours to get full right up. And, uh, and it does. It, it does. You, you forget it's on at first. Okay. You know, when you first get it on, you see it, of course, and you're, you're ready to go. Every actor gets ready and gets prepared, you know, in their own way. And uh, because there's so much makeup involved and prosthetic stuff involved, it's, it definitely affects you. And, yeah, and, and technically, 
you got to just watch out where you're walking because you bump your head easily. The <laughs> thing is like eight, eight inches tall off off my skull. Yeah. The one, the new one, right? Yeah, the new, the new fin. The new fin. Yeah, it's more like the, the comic book fin. So which, which, which I, which I love. I, 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 I like to think that James just saw like the reaction to the first Guardians movie. He's like, "Oh, you, you guys dig this? We can go even crazier." I mean, we we tamed we went tame with Yandu's oh, spin in dude. the first one. We're just gonna go all out. <laughs> and they could have gone even further. I mean, that that it's amazing what they can do. <laughs> I, I I have to comment as we're talking to you. You're wearing Converse sneakers that have drawings of Yandu. All over them. Yes. Are, are those? Yes. Where did you find I, those? I have a major ego. Yes. Where, where did, did did you have those custom made, or did you find them online? Uh, no, or? I had I had them uh, made. My my friend Kyle Stanley uh, draws the is the artist, and he, he makes these and he he uh, made these for me. That that is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, <laughs> I'm very um, very happy with them, and I he's also made me like slither ones. Oh really? I have Henry ones. Yeah. And the Walking Dead. Oh wow. I change them up every now and then. Sometimes I put a Walking Dead one on one foot and a, and Guardians on the other foot, <laughs> and I'll just I'll just mix them mix and match them. See, and and putting Henry on a pair of shoes is probably the only way for Henry to have a soul. Totally oh oh, dude. get it, get it. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Wow, you you just you're outdoing yourself with the pun Today game. Thank you. Thank this you. This is my first time talking to these two guys. You go, audience members. I <laughs> uh, hope you understand. And yes, yes. Hopefully not the last time. Unbelievable geeks. <laughs> and I love them. And uh, we're having a good time here. <laughs> oh man, well I can't imagine. I feel I feel like Michael Rooker saying we are unbelievable geeks and just having an amazing time is kind of the high note that we can end on uh so thank you so much for joining us michael Indeed, uh, brother. thank you thank you and uh uh have a good luck with the rest of the shoot 